what's unique about the methodology, everything that is included in the methodology, and you're an experienced marketer, will sound familiar, right? None of the territories I talk about is, oh my God, I've never heard about this before. What's up, branding experts? Are here at Event Design, and welcome to On Branding Podcast. And today, my guest is Uli Appebaum, and Uli is an award-winning marketing and brand strategist with more than 25 years of experience creating positioning strategies. He has contributed to developing strategies for brands like Wrigley, Harley-Davidson, Hallmark, Procter & Gamble, Chrysler, and many more. So Uli has held senior executive roles at some of the best advertising agencies, and he has also founded his own brand research and strategy boutique called First the Trousers, Then the Shoes. And Uli recently also published his new book, The Brand Positioning Workbook, which is right here, where he shares with us 26 different territories to inspire our positioning development process. Hello, Uli. Thanks for joining us today. Hello, Alex. Thanks for having me. Glad to be on the show. Thank you very much. So first of all, I just wanted to say your book is very, very easy to read. You don't use any fancy words. It's, it's, it's very easy to read and understand. And you give us a lot of examples we can relate, you know, like famous brands we, that we all know about, we can understand these concepts. So, so basically, just for our listeners, I just wanted to mention that you basically analyzed 1,200 case studies of successful brand positioning, right? And that right. led you to coming up with those 26 territories, as you call them, of the sources of positioning, right? So basically the goal is of these territories or those questions and exercises that we can run is to inspire our creative thinking, right? Correct. So as you mentioned in the book, it's not actually like the end solution, it's just to put you on the right track and inspire your creative thinking and, and problem solving. And you talk about that in the book as well. On how to the actually right options do... to choose from, correct, yep. Yeah, to, uh, how to actually put this into practice and how to use it. So these exercises are basically for marketers, strategists, consultants, or anyone who is working on the brand, right? It's trying to come Correct. up with unique and differentiated positioning. So there are 26 categories in the book, but you divided that, you put them into three different categories, right? Correct. So maybe we won't have time to talk about each and every single territory, but I just want you to like pick to at least few of each category if that's possible, okay? Love to, yeah, um, absolutely. So, but, but before that, let's start with some basic, let's get us on the same page. So what's your definition of positioning? That's a great point to start, Eric. So there are many definitions about positioning out there, right? Um, and for me, the, the simplest, most actionable definition of a brand positioning is really, it's the sum of all the associations that your consumer segments or your stakeholders have about your offering. So that's really what it is. And what I like about this is it's not very academic um, or intellectual, but it's pragmatic, right? Because what it tells you is your job as a marketer is to help build associations with your offering. Now, there are a lot of different associations. And to your point, the 26 sources of association that I describe in my book help you generate as many options as you possibly can. But that is really your, your, your job. You know, I refer in the book as a, to the definition of um, Jeff Bezos from Amazon saying like, you know, yeah. a brand is, is um, uh, what, people, what people say about you when you leave the room. You know, it's beautiful. It's very inspiring. Sounds really great. 
but as a marketer, as a practitioner, I don't know what to do with that. So does it mean that I need to get people that are connected to the buyer to talk about the brand? But how do I do that? You know, when you look at it as a brand of associate, um, bundle of association for a specific offering, you know exactly my job is to understand what do they associate with my brand today, if the brand exists, are those relevant associations? Do I need to change them? Do I need to build on them? Mm -hmm. And what are the ones I desire to associate with my offering? And that gives you like a, a clear roadmap on how to move forward. And that also gives you a roadmap for to evaluate every initiative you do from every product you launch, every promotion you make, every advertising campaign you make, because you have a clear, clear mind and clear, clearly in front of your eyes, this benchmark, does it help build my desired association? Does it work against my association? Does it complement my association? And if mm -hmm. it's none of these three, my argument is you're wasting your marketing dollars because you're not building a brand. You are, you know, blasting money into advertising out there. Right. That's a great explanation. Some of my key uh, takeaways to sum up for our listeners. So, so basically brand positioning is a tool that help us brand managers or uh, strategists to define and summarize the, the desired brand associations, as you mentioned, right? So we need to look at where we are as of now. Does it match to where we want to be? Like what's our aspiration or where we want to go, right? And then work from there. So basically the purpose of positioning is to define and capture those sets of associations that we want our consumers to assign to our brand. Correct. Right, as it relates to what you just said with, uh, you know, Bezos' definition of what a brand is, right? Mm -hmm. So starting with the first group, you divided them into three categories, competition, consumer, and company. Three mm -hmm. Cs, right? Yeah. So can we just start with the first one, competition? Can you give us maybe a few examples of some of those territories with, you know, with examples of famous brands? Of course. And, and what I want to point out, Eric, is that what's unique about the methodology, everything that is included in the methodology and you're an experienced marketer will sound familiar, right? None of the territories I talk about is, oh my God, I've never heard about this before. If you're an experienced marketer, you have come across all these different categories. And the way they're organized to your point is really the three C model, um, which is basically, it's more than competition. It's what I call context. Um, which is mm -hmm. the frame of reference in which you put your brand or you want to be perceived as a brand. The second one is the consumer, how I engage with them. And the third one is the company or the product itself. That is basically what truth can I bring out about my product or my company to either support the benefit of my brand, so to create an association that supports the benefit or to differentiate myself in the category. So if you go into the context, and that's, as I said, that's for me one actually of the most neglected territory in marketing. Because in marketing, when you have a brand, let's say you have a brand of, I don't know, toothpaste, you compare yourself immediately to other brands of toothpaste. So our frame of reference is usually the immediate competitors. But the reality mm -hmm. is you can open your frame of reference. For example, your frame of reference could be a substitute category, right? So if uh, I ask you, if you ask yourself the question, okay, I don't have, uh, I don't know, a product X today to satisfy my need, what will I choose instead? And then you can look at what alternative behaviors or category pop up there. And then you can start to think, okay, how am I better or how can I differentiate myself versus this alternative category, right? Another mm -hmm. example would be the usage context. Where do I consume my brand? And you've said that in your podcast as well, right? Is 
um, by associating yourself with a brand, by making a choice in public, you make a statement about yourself, right? And one of the great examples there is like uh, the most interesting man in the world from uh, Dos Equis, you know, which was based on this understanding of, yeah, consumers, or the observation is that consumers, young men that, you know, want to appear more interesting than they actually are, can choose now Dos Equis to come across as a bit more interesting, you know, and probably score more or have a higher chance to score with the girls, et cetera. So here's understanding the usage context of your brand allows you to identify association that might be relevant for your consumer and your brand in that specific context. You know, mm-hmm. another one is the category gold standard. You know, every category right. is sort of like this ideal, typical thing. The typical example is, you know, food with the family, you can see yourself in Tuscany on a big wooden table, you know, the sun going down, drinking wine, having good conversation. This might be an ideal, typical situation for an Italian food brand, for example, yeah. you know, or might be something completely different uh, for another category. But you can think about what is the ideal, typical situation for my brand and the category I'm in, and what associations can I draw from that to associate myself to the, uh, to create this association that will help me stand out. You know, another one is culture. We talk a lot about culture. Cultural branding is very popular. And one simple way to associate yourself, you know, to create relevance is to associate yourself either with a relevant truth about uh, the prevailing culture. And like Molson, a Canadian beer brand has done that in Canada uh, with their tagline, I am Canadian. So what they basically Mm -hmm. do is they associate themselves with all these values and behaviors that represent the essence of being Canadian and basically claim that territory per se to increase appeal with consumers. And another one, and I'm going to stop and let you ask a question if you want, is like each culture has also subcultures, right? And so an obvious one is, you know, mummies, uh, mummy cultures, which when you look at what's going on in the internet is a very distinctive, very specific culture a brand can try to associate itself with. Or motorcycle, we talked about, we, you mentioned Harley Davidson. You know, there's the riding culture, so all the riders out there, but there is a subculture of female riders, you know, that don't want to associate themselves with the mainstream sort of like male Harley Davidson rider. They want to create their own subculture. Understanding this, what makes out this culture and associating yourself with that and a lot of the motorcycle brands try to do that right now is a way to increase your relevance with this specific audience. And there are like, I think, another five or six other contextual sources of association yeah. you can tap to. And as you can hear from this conversation, once you are aware of these sources of association, you can very quickly explore them, right? And look at it, okay, how do I position myself against culture, you know, or what is the ideal typical situation? Or is there something out of the usage moment that I can tap into position my brand? So very quickly, you're able to look at your brand from a variety of perspectives that I haven't seen in any other methodology out there so far. I mean, you can get it, but it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort to do that. So that's sort of like the contextual, the frame of reference, which I call it. As I said earlier, I, I think this is one of the most undervalued one because that is where you find most sources of insight in my experience by reframing the way you look at a category you change the whole perspective of what the benefit is and how it relates to consumers but many organizations don't do that many organizations just look at their immediate competitor 
and not the broader space in which they operate. I've done that both through like workshops or through projects that included research to help our my clients sort of like reframe the way they look at their category, right? And develop new product ideas, a new way to talk about the brand, and obviously a new way to position the brand. So what this yeah. tool does, Eric, it just gives you a mental flexibility that a professional marketer would look at and think, oh yeah, I've heard of the you know, ideal typical situation. I've heard about cultural branding. I've heard about, you know, tapping into the usage occasion, but there is no tool out there that gives you all these options under one, in one book, basically. To yeah. Yeah. And that's the difference, right? Exactly. So you gave us a few examples of those contextual territories. Mm-hmm. I have a couple uh, for you guys as well, our listeners. So for example, Rituals was one of them as well that you didn't mention yet. So, and here is an interesting example because you described that in the book, but basically just long story short, here we tap into some rituals or hobbies, right? So KitKat, which is a candy bar and the name comes from uh, Kitokato in Japanese and translates to you're bound to win, right? So the idea behind this is that it brings you luck. And the story behind is that in Japan, school entry exams are very competitive. And uh, so people have this hobby, they, they go uh, and they play for their kids. And then buying a KitKat became kind of a ritual for them, you know, something that they perceive is going to bring them luck, right? So that's one example, a gold standard. You, you also described that. So where, where we position ourselves against some gold standard in our category. So an example here would be like pizza category, for example, the gold standard. You mentioned that in the book, by the way, is home delivery. So a frozen, so it's a gold standard, but a frozen pizza brand called DiGiorno positioned themselves against that with the slogan, it's not delivery, it's DiGiorno, right? Mm-hmm. So they use that. So that's an example of contextual category. So let's talk about the next one, which is about consumer, right? Mm-hmm. And we have a few. So as you, as you said, that the first one is maybe the most undervalued. We have the most exercises there, but. Let's talk about consumer territories now. So this is all about creating that human connection with our audience, right? So absolutely. And we basically understand them as marketers, as the benefit, right? Mm -hmm. What is the benefit? So can you give us some examples of of those territories and maybe some examples of famous brands? Of course. And um, I mentioned earlier, the context, it's the richest one in terms of uncovering insights, but there are as many territories in the consumer connection area and in the product area. So... Uh, mm. To your point, in when you talk about consumer connection, we typically talk about the benefit, right? The emotional and the rational benefit. Sometimes you add sort of like the psychological benefit. So that's typically how we look at it. But the reality is there are way more ways to connect with the consumers. You know, one could be a sensory benefit. So basically a benefit that appeals to your senses. You know, and typical example there for me would be Febreze. Here in the US, you're probably familiar with where they started to feature in the advertising sort of like this couple sitting in a couch in an absolutely disgusting environment, but they had their eyes covered and they, they had the smell of free breeze. And, you know, they mm-hmm. thought about it and they described it as sort of like, oh, it's a brand new home I'm sitting in. And it's basically a dump they're surrounded by. So it's a way to romance the sort of like sensorial quality of your brand, of your offering and type give it meaning to the benefits so to say right and the beauty of that is that you can literally experience that one right because you smell it mm-hmm. um, as opposed yeah. to have an abstract concept another sort of like way to connect with the uh, consumers is to look at them through the lens of archetypes 
and archetypes are just these sort of like stereotypical personas that satisfy very specific needs consumer segments have, right? I know you've talked in your past videos about Harley to, to speak about them. You know, Harley has the outlaw archetype. You know, yeah. when I write my Harley, I, you know, I may be a 60 year old dentist that has, you know, a, a vacation home in the Bahamas and a big home here by the villa. But when I get on my Harley, I want to feel like, you know, the bad guy, the outlaw, the badass that rides in his yeah. gear and makes a lot of noise. So, you know, looking at your brand through the archetype, how can you feed this desire consumers have to break out of the ordinary, to challenge the norms, guides the way you can position your brand? So that's another one. I mean, the third one is, is an obvious one too, which I think is very overrated, is a brand purpose, right? So if you identify the belief here being that if I share with you the reasons why I started this company and why I started this business. And obviously there needs to be a, a bigger benefit to society, to the environment and stuff like that. But if I yeah. explain to you that I created this, you know, soda with the objective to stop the deforestation in South America, you know, that's a very strong purpose, for example. The belief here is that people will buy into the brand, so to say, you know, more, more strongly. Another example, which is my, one of my favorite ones is shared values. So if you identify what values matter to your customers, you know, what are important to them. And what's important here is to focus on aspirational values. So if I see myself as an eco-friendly person, I, you know, that's, I want to be consistent with the way I see myself. If you as a brand, you are able to, uh, to create this association and show me by consuming my brand, you will be able to live up to your own values. You have a very strong connection. A beautiful example for me here is Patek Philippe, the Swiss uh, watchmaker. Yeah. And they identify, I mean, those are like high net worth individuals they go after. I mean, those are like $20,000, $30,000 watches. But what they realize mm -hmm. that what is important to this customer segment is family. So spending time with the family and family values and traditions, you know, like legacy, all these kind of things. And so they yeah. translated the, the positioning of Patek Philippe into this tagline, which I'm sure I'm not going to remember by heart, but it's this, you know, you, you don't own a Patek Philippe, but you are merely, merely the guardian for the next generations. So it's basically yeah. this, this notion of you don't own the thing is you keep it for your children and your next generation, which is a beautiful way to frame you know, the positioning of a brand. And when you think about other brands around that, right, you have like Rolex, which is all about yeah. prestige and status. You have Brightland, which is all about sort of like the pilot adventurous lifestyle. They managed mm -hmm. to carve out a space in there that is about family values and tradition and stand out completely from these other brands that are in this segment. So that would be connecting at yeah. the value level with your customer. So here are like four or five examples I just mentioned. And again, using this methodology, you can look at them very quickly and then you can dive deeper if you want to. But, you know, yeah. you have an opportunity to look at your brand from all these different angles until you mm -hmm. find one that you say, you know what, I haven't heard something like that. That is true to my brand. That seems to be exciting. Let's go and test it and validate it and refine it. So that's right. the logic behind it. Yeah, so as you mentioned, you know, we can... The purpose of doing all of like, we, we should just run through those exercises and then see what kind of like, because some patterns may occur, right? Some of those 
exercise, like multiple exercises can point us to somehow the same idea. Yeah. And then we can dive in and explore that more. But the general goal is to just have a wider perspective, you know, and approach this from different angles so that we can come up with, it's all about the quantity as well. And then we can, because the more ideas we can generate, you know, then we can focus on the right ones and then we can build on, on them. Right. So. Absolutely um, right. Yeah. And I'm yeah, impressed so that was... you notice that, Eric, sorry to jump in. I'm impressed you notice that because I talk a bit about that in the book is the idea is like you generate as many ideas as possible, right? And then you start to group them and you, you create themes of, oh, here we always yeah. talk about how the brand has been made and where it comes from. Here we always talk about our different competitive set, et cetera, et cetera. And these themes naturally emerge as you go through the exercise and the yeah. team developing the ideas starts to have interesting discussions on, you know, what are the key strategic issues we are really trying to address. So it's an organic process that really develops itself as you go through the conversation and the, through the through the ideation process. Right. So, and this was a great example with Patek Philippe. And you didn't really, you said that almost 100% the way it is. I have in my notes, the exact tagline reads, you never actually own a Patek Philippe you merely look after it for the next generation. Yeah, so the idea is there that, you Thank know, you. You, buy yes. the, you buy the watch and then you give it to your kids and so on, right? So it's, it's a tradition, it's legacy. It's about as it speaks to the values, right? To the values at territory. So that's one example, a compelling benefit where we can ground our brand in a differentiating benefit, like I diamond is forever for the beers or the ultimate driving machine by BMW. These are some of the examples as well. And uh, yeah, and you talk quite a bit about archetypes uh, in this section, which I think is a great way to, we can just leverage archetypes to find that positioning idea, right? So Absolutely. let's jump into the, the third part, the third group. And we have here categories related to company itself, right? To the brand. So can you just give us a, a few examples here and Absolutely. talk a little bit about those? So the third category, and the point is really to combine, to find the overlap. If you have like a Venn diagram with three bubbles is really you have con context, mm -hmm. consumers, and the company itself. And the point is really to find the perfect match where a unique aspect of your, here we go, perfect, thank you. A unique yeah. aspect of your brand or your company, you know, ties to something that is highly relevant and beneficial to consumers within a context that allows you to stand out. So that's really the objective. So if you dive into the product itself, is one area that I find fascinating is we mentioned earlier consumer rituals. So I se separate between consumer rituals and branded rituals. And consumer rituals is basically rituals that you go through day in, day out, independently of a brand right so like you know when i get ready in the morning brush my teeth take my shower get dressed well not during pandemic but it's a way to get ready for the day mentally get ready for the day so it's a ritual you go through when you take that at the brand level this is really about what sort of like behaviors and routine can i associate with my brand to make it feel more valuable or to create anticipation for the way I'm going to consume that brand. And those are very mm -hmm. simple examples, like, you know, squeezing a lime in a Corona bottle, unwrapping a Ferrero Rocher, you know, it's like in the golden packaging on a little tray, yeah. just the way to unwrap it. Or Stella did that with like the, I think the nine steps to pour a Stella. Um, those are all things that make you anticipate an experience and enhances this. And 
the Howard Business Review did a study, I think, which shows that it really increased your satisfaction with the product and your willingness to pay more for the product when you ritualize the behavior, which is kind of weird. Mm -hmm. Another area could be, you know, and it's not always have to be the positives. We shy away from the negatives, but one territory or one way is to turn a negative association into something positive or to find a meaning to a potential negative association. Typical example is ketchup for me, you know, in the glass bottles. Ketchup is very slow to pour, right? So it takes ages. Yeah. You got to like shake it and all these kind of things in the glass bottle, not in the squeezy, of course. Yeah, exactly. Um, mm -hmm. And for a long time, you know, Heinz could have liquefied the ketchup, you know, make it more liquid and, and allow it to come out faster out of the bottle. But they've never done that. And I admire that. They've always justified it with the quality of the product inside. You know, I think they were, forgot how much, but they used to speak about, you know, there are like nine ripe tomatoes in each bottle of ketchup. So they give meaning to the slow pour, you know, or Guinness. Guinness takes uh, 119 seconds to pour. You know, when you're really thirsty, 190 seconds feels like an eternity. But that is apparently the perfect pour of a Guinness beer. And so instead of sort of like trying to find ways to speed that up, you know, they reframe, what does it mean? And strategic platform for a very long time was this notion of, you know, good things come to those who wait. Yeah. You know? mm -hmm. And all of a sudden it's, it's like, oh design. yeah, now I know why I'm waiting two minutes for my beer. So those like a second example, but then you have like country of origin, how the product is made, are there specific ingredients in there? You know, who is making the product? Is it endorsed by yeah. experts? So there are all like different angles. Again, you can focus on or explore to try to identify what's unique about your brand that you can tie again to a relevant consumer benefit in the specific context that makes it that makes a brand stand out basically so yeah, yeah so that's very simple in 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 its elements but very efficient in working with those with these tools and these territories yeah and i wanted to add two more so as you already mentioned you know it could be a, cre a creation story so here could be for example burger kings a tagline flame grilled since 1954 yeah. Or Jack Daniels, where, where they always focus on craftsmanship, dedication, yeah. and character. Guinness, that's another example in the same category, right? But of a different territory. Here we also can celebrate ingredients, for example. Yeah. And this is the brand I actually buy. So this is this RX bar, right? Mm -hmm. Where they celebrate ingredients and they say basically no bullshit, simple ingredients, right? They have it on packaging. So that's another way. That's another territory. So and this can be ingredients or lack of ingredients, right? So, um, but yeah, yeah, it has to do with how the product or, is made. What, what or, is or lack of ingredients? Yeah. yeah, exactly. They like kind of turn this around and and uh, into a positive, right? Yeah. So, and of course, there is many more exercises with the exact questions, and you know, also Uli explains, you know, how to actually use this, how to run the workshop, which is very important for us strategists or strategic designers who want to help clients with positioning. So I really recommend this book. So as we are approaching the end of our interview, can you just tell us what's the best way to contact you? Of course, I'm going to link to the book and your website is first-that-trousers.com. How do you want people to reach out to you? Maybe on and LinkedIn? That, that's probably the, the best way. Or LinkedIn is probably the best way. I'm not a, I'm a very passive Twitter user, so never check it. But LinkedIn is probably mm -hmm. the best way to reach out to me. Yes, absolutely. So I'm also going to link to your LinkedIn, which is which is your name, Uri Upperbaum. So 
Thank you very much, Oli. That was awesome. Thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks for your time and thanks for your great questions. Thank <laughs> you.